Well, hey, welcome to the Walk On Podcast. Following Jesus is a journey, and I hope this podcast helps you take your next step. Well, hey, Walk On friends. In this episode, I want to introduce an ongoing series that will pop up from time to time. I'm calling it Fear Not. So we're currently in the Advent season, and I've been reading the gospel accounts leading up to Jesus' birth. And I've noticed there's all these encounters with angels, Uh, Zechariah, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, all these moments where angels appear. And in every one of those encounters, the angels have a similar message, fear not, right? They say, do not be afraid, fear not. Now, undoubtedly, those words are meant to reassure people from freaking out at the appearance of angels, Uh, but But I also think it points to the fundamental posture that God wants us to have towards him, right? In Luke chapter two, when the angels appear to the shepherds after Jesus' birth, they proclaim, fear not, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people, right? That good news should bring joy and not fear, right? The news they're bringing about the arrival of Jesus, of this Messiah, the savior of the world, it's good news and it should bring joy to everyone and not fear. So fear not. The apostle Paul lets us know in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Yet as a pastor, I have so many encounters with people whose relationship with God is marked more by fear than it is by love or joy. And most of these people that I talk to, they've grown up in the church or they've had some experience with the church and somehow they've walked away with this idea that that their relationship with God needs to be on eggshells. They have to be careful to do the right things or say the right things or else they incur the wrath of God. And they just kind of live this posture towards God in fear. And often I find as I talk with them that 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 fear is driven by the way they interpret scripture. I find that that posture of fear for many people comes as a result of reading scripture with a lens of condemnation instead of a lens of love and joy. I mean, it really is amazing that you can read the same thing, but get two totally different interpretations based upon the lens you read it with. I mean, this principle applies to all of life, really. I was joking with my kids the other day about Santa Claus. You know the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And when we sing that, most of the time it's lighthearted and it's full of joy and fun as we sing it. But you could also approach those same lyrics from a posture of fear and they hit totally different, right? You know, he he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so you better be good for goodness sake, because Santa Claus is coming to town, (laughs) right? Right? Two totally different interpretations based upon which posture you approach it from. And that's a silly example, but the same truth applies with how we engage scripture. And so one of my passions as a pastor and a teacher is to help people see that the good news truly is good news. And that God's posture towards us is one of love and grace. And because of Jesus, we can do as the writer of Hebrews says, we can boldly approach God's throne of grace. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to worry constantly about us making the wrong mistake and incurring God's wrath. We can 
fear not. So what I want to do with this ongoing series is give a space to wrestle with questions in scripture that might bring fear or condemnation to some of us. Now, I want to look at these scriptures through the lens of grace and hopefully bring a new perspective. Now, I don't know all of the answers, but I have a firm belief that God is good and that Jesus is the full demonstration of God's love and grace. And we don't have to let fear hinder us from walking in the fullness of God. And as we give space to ask tough questions and wrestle with scripture, I pray that we will truly see that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. All right, so let's dive right into a scripture that I've talked with people about it that can bring a lot of fear. It's found in Exodus 20, verse five, and it says this, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Yeah, that's that's a really pleasant scripture, isn't it? <laughs> I've talked with several people over the years who read this scripture and and live with this fear that they're stuck living under a generational curse because of something their parents or their grandparents did. And they, they just feel like they're kind of stuck and facing these consequences that they don't deserve. And I've also talked to people who live with this fear that they will do something wrong that will pass on this curse or punishment to their kids or their grandkids. I mean, I'm probably screwing my kids up enough. I don't want something that will bring God's punishment on them or their future kids. I mean, you see how that can bring some fear. So how are we to view this? What's going on here? Let's dig into this scripture and, and see what we come up with. The best that I can tell, there, there are four passages in the Old Testament that speak of God punishing children for the sin of their parents. The very first mention is what I read in Exodus 25. And all the others are rephrasings of this scripture. There's another one in Exodus. There's one in Numbers and one again in Deuteronomy. And they all essentially are just repeating the same thing that's found in Exodus 20 verse 5. And so the context of this scripture is actually when Moses is giving the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the, the big ten. This comment about punishing children for the sins of their parents is connected to commandment number two, the commandment not to worship idols. Here's what it says in its full context. It says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Did, did you catch that last part? Right? Showing love to a thousand generations? A lot of times we don't mention that part. See, I, I think part of what's going on here is that this scripture isn't meant to instill fear. It's actually meant to be a word picture showing that God's mercy far exceeds his wrath. 1,000 to three. God's love to a thousand generations versus his punishment to three or four generations. So keep that in mind. Don't lose sight of, of this word picture that that is being communicated here of, of God's character and his mercy and his love. But still, let's be honest, the third or fourth generation still doesn't sit well with us, does it? 
how is that fair that generations to come are going to face the consequences of something that they haven't done? Well, let's ask this question. Why does God say three or four generations? I mean, doesn't that seem oddly specific? Why not two? Why not six? Why not seven? He says three or four generations. Let me ask you this. How many generations are typically alive at the same time? How many generations in your family are currently alive? For me, on my dad's side, there's three. And on my mom's side, there's four. Are you starting to get it now? You see, this isn't a declaration that God is going to dole out punishments for years and years to come, and unborn generations will have to carry the curse of their ancestors' sin. No, this is about the present tense. This is about a punishment that's for a community that's alive at the moment. See, any given time, there are three or four generations alive. And so to understand what what is being talked about here, you have to understand kind of the ancient world and the emphasis on communal identity, right? In our modern American world, we are very individualistic. We think in terms of just the individual, but the ancient world thought in terms of the community, their identity, their sense of self was tied into the broader community. And so each household had several generations together living under one patriarch, right? Think of like Abraham or or Jacob and his 12 sons and their um, kids, like they would all be together under one household, given one communal identity. And so when one person sinned in that community, the guilt and the shame of that was felt by everyone in the household, down to the kids and to the grandkids. So all the the three and four generations of people living together would have carried the weight and the shame of that sin that, that had happened. It's this communal identity. So the idea of, of punishing sin isn't a vindictive promise of decades of punishment. It's actually a statement revealing the reality of the damage of sin that a community feels. Right? The truth is your choices don't just affect you. Those consequences of your actions ripple out and they're felt by your family and by your community. I mean, think about somebody having a, an affair. One person's sin doesn't just affect them. Their spouse feels the impact of it. And then their kids feel the impact of the damage of the the relationship between the husband and the wife. And then the entire other family of the other person involved in the affair feels the impact. And there's all these ripple effects into the community. All of the people that are part of a family and of a community experience the consequences of, of that sin. So let me take a minute to nuance the idea of punishment. As you read through scripture, there's two different ways that we see punishment displayed. There are moments in scripture where God actively brings a punishment for a person or a community's sin. In the vast majority of these instances, as far as I can think of, there were clear warnings ahead of time, right? God made the expectations clear. And the punishment he gives is meant to get people's attention to bring them back to him. It's not a retributive punishment. It's it's a restorative punishment. It's meant to, to catch their attention and kind of this, this act of discipline, the same way you would discipline a child to help them see what's the right way to live as part of your family, a, a way to bring flourishing to the whole home. So the times that there is active punishment from God, it's meant to pull people back into relationship with him. 
And, and let's be honest, right? It's not comfortable when we read about these moments in scripture, but I want to point us back to what we read in Exodus, that those alive in a particular moment may face that punishment, but God gives grace to a thousand generations, right? It's a thousand to three. So we do find moments in scripture where God actively brings a punishment for someone's sin. But I think more often there isn't an act of punishment from God, but instead he leaves us to face the consequences of our sin. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter one. He talks about how people, instead of worshiping God, they chose to worship idols. And then in verse 24, he says, the result of that idol worship, which is exactly the context of this verse that we're reading about in Exodus 20 verse five, says the result of that idol worship in verse 24 says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. So it wasn't an active punishment that God was doing. Instead, he was stepping back and saying, all right, you, you get to live in the mess you've created. <laughs> and I find that most of the difficult situations that I face in my life, they're the consequences of my sin, or I'm feeling the consequences of somebody else's sin. And it's not right, it's not fair, but it's just part of living in a broken world where people choose to do selfish, sinful things. And these choices, they are felt by multiple generations, right? No doubt trauma affects multiple generations and patterns of behavior are passed on from one generation to another, but these aren't from God. These are the consequences of living in the brokenness of the world. But the brokenness that we all feel, right? The consequences of sin that we all feel and grieve over, this is the very context where God's grace and mercy and love can shine the brightest, right? That's the promise of the gospel that Jesus brings a new reality and a new kingdom that he defeated sin, death, and the grave when he rose again. And we no longer have to be bound by old patterns of sin. Just because our parents operated and behaved in a certain way doesn't mean that we are destined to as well. We can truly be new creations where the old has gone and the new has come. Right? We can live in step with the Spirit of God leading us and renewing us each day. It's the beauty of the gospel. When Exodus talks about God showing his love to a thousand generations, it just makes me think of the promises that Paul gives us in Romans chapter eight about God's love. He says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now with that in mind, with, with the gospel truth in mind, let's go back to that scripture in Exodus and read it not through a lens of fear or condemnation, but let's read it through a lens of grace, keeping in mind what Christ has done, the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. And when you read about God punishing three or four generations, understanding that that's, that's a, a warning of the reality of sin, 
the consequences of sin on a community. But then there's this promise that God will show his love to a thousand generations. And in that Old Testament verse, all the way back in Exodus on the side of Mount Sinai, as Moses is unveiling the Ten Commandments and the law, we see a seed in there pointing forward to what God is going to fully accomplish through Christ. That his love to a thousand generations and a thousand more after that and a thousand more after that is going to be demonstrated by what Christ did on the cross, that he took the punishment for our sin so that we don't have to face that anymore. We can have a new beginning, a fresh start, and experience the fullness of the love of God. Now that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? So let's let God's unfailing love and his grace and his mercy be the lens through with which we read scripture. Let that be the foundation of our relationship with God and and let's fear not because there truly is good news and great joy for all people and it's found in Christ. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. I would love your input in helping shape future episodes as we continue to talk about this Fear Not series. Uh, I want to know what are the scriptures that you've come across that you've wrestled through yourself? What are some of the scriptures that you've come across that have brought you worry or fear and you're not sure how to interpret those? I would love to include those on future episodes and try to wrestle through that together uh, on this podcast. You can let me know what those are by shooting me an email. You can get a hold of me at brent at walkonpodcast.com. That's B-R-E-N-T at walkonpodcast.com. So yeah, shoot me an email letting me know what those scriptures are. Or if you just want to say, hey, let me know who you are and uh, where you're listening from. Or if you have any other questions, I would love to hear from you. Again, just want to say thanks for listening. You can let other people know about this podcast by sharing these episodes or by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast provider. That just helps other people come across this podcast and discover it as well. Thank you so much.